House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Uh, today joining me is D.C. Chambers. He's written a book called The Last Goodbye, Sunny Noir's story. Um, so thank you for being here, uh, D.C. Thank you. So, let's talk about this book. Now, this is your first book, right? It is my first book, yes. So, how did you get into um, writing? Like, what drew you to write this book and this story? Okay, so, first about the story, and then I'll tell you about what got me into it. But, the my life got me into it, because the book is, basically, it's, it's a... Autobiographical, um, but it's fiction. Um, but I had an interesting life during the period that this book takes place. It's a, a time period piece in the 19, late 1970s, and um, I would say 95% of the things that happen in the book, they were my life. And so all I did was uh, change the names of the people and wrote the story hmm. and now as, as far as what you ask me how did I get into you know interested in writing or you know what uh, drove me there um, I guess what I'd have to say um, you know as a kid uh, I don't think you understand you know a, a kid 14 years old or maybe younger your moments of accomplishments, uh, other than getting some token of appreciation from your parents or teachers or coach, you know, but um, my aha moment came on the first day of my sophomore year in high school in journalism class. It was, uh, I took it on a whim, didn't know much about it, but I knew I liked writing, but I wasn't sure. And so I hadn't thought much about the future, obviously, as 14. Um, and I was young. I was a year younger than everyone in my class. Uh, I'd been put ahead at one grade in grade school, so that was a disadvantage. And um, and then, but from that day on, it's just I realized this this is me. I, I can write. I enjoyed it, and truthfully, it changed my life. Uh, it, it brought me out of a shell. Uh, soon, within a month or so, I I was. Uh, the feature editor of the high school paper, uh, and hungry to learn as much as I could. So, you know, that's how I got started in it. Well, um, it's really interesting. So when you say you take a part of what your, happened in your life and you incorporate in that, uh, so how do, you, how do you go about doing that uh, as a writer? So, like, what, what parts do you like to... Um, focus on? Is it things that brought you, let's say, pain or despair, or is it more happy things? These things were all um, happy things, you know. They were, um, let's put it this way, that I was a, uh, I don't know if it was a typical gay guy, uh, you know, in my early 20s, uh, and I hadn't come out to my parents at the time. Uh, before, I'm just starting the story, uh, and and all this happens um, be, 
before uh, many of the things in the book happened uh, before the story really takes place. The story takes place from 1979 uh, to, to uh, uh, 1981. It's a, it covers it's the end of the year to the very beginning of that year, and it covers 15, 16 months. And so I tried to wrap that story into those periods. So I had to take things from that had happened to me during the 1970s, and I brought them all into that to the story, and um, and that was it. You know, I I met some very interesting people, um, and that's uh, you know. So I wanted to write about them. I had the story in my mind for 40 years. And then to suddenly write it uh, was a big accomplishment, but but I did it. So it's it's changed a lot. Like um, the world in the '70s and early '80s, uh, even you know, especially even in the gay community and the gay world, how how we live and how we lived in that time is quite different now. You know, like uh, like young gay people now are you know they're into the apps and not the clubs. There's not so much emphasis on the districts or the, you know, we used to have magazines and papers and dart clubs and pool pool clubs and all that, but th that's kind of changed. Um, so this is an important, always an important story to come out. I think the more people that write this type of a book, uh, like yourself, I, I think it's good because it's kind of um, take note of history, right? Um, a lot of young people aren't going to have a clue what it was like. That's why I wrote this book, because I wanted to record the history of it, of what happened. And um, in the first, let me just start the book, and then I'm going to back, go back a little bit here. But the opening scene in my book is, it, it's the ending. So I start the book with the ending, and that's complicated to do. And it's similar to something of you know, Sunset Boulevard. Um, and then I, I circled back in chapter two to, to the story. And I've been, and the reason I say that is that I wanted to show, um, I, that second chapter starts out when I'm 15 years old at a Catholic, um, school. And we, um, that's where I met my first boyfriend. And he was a, a Cuban American, uh, he was, uh, this was in 1969, and what, he was one of the original, I don't know if a lot of people will know, but uh, the first kids that came over to America from Cuba were refugees that their parents sent them. They were usually, most of them were imprisoned by the Castro regime, and his group of the kids, the first ones that were sent to Miami, were called the Peter Pans. And so... Um, just and that meant a lot because I remember in in the eighth grade when I went to school it was in 1966 at at the Catholic school I went to suddenly that year there was all these brown kids there in our class that were never there before because I lived in the Midwest and come to find out they had all been brought in from Cuba and the families um, their families that were still in in uh, prison in uh, Cuba, uh, told the people in Miami, the Catholic Church, 
ship them north. We want them as far away from Cuba as possible. So all these kids came. So that was life-changing for me. I'm And I started meeting these these other people. And we became friends. It became an important part of my life. I'm this first guy that I end up um, having a little relationship with at 15 years old, 16, we worked together in a neighborhood supermarket, and, and that was it. We And it was um, very interesting. So that changed my life a lot as, as far as looking at different cultures. And the reason I bring that up is because I am very interested in um, people that are discriminated against, not only gay people, but uh, the people that aren't like other people, uh, and especially immigrants. So I've always had a heart for this. And so this is a big part of my writing in my book. And so then this book, um, it starts out with him. Uh, it was a big romance. And then we eventually went our ways when it came time to go off to college. Uh, he, um, in, you know, we went to different, he went uh, out to California to school and I stayed and went to school in Chicago. And and then from there, after that, you know, then the, my book goes into my career. Uh, you know, I, I just really tell the story with these characters. And uh, my character that portrays me, more or less, his name is Sonny Noir. And so anyway, um, uh, this guy goes into a career that he's, very unhappy with, even though I was, uh, Sonny was interested, or me, in uh, journalism and wanted to do writing, but of course, uh, Sonny gets influenced by his family. Uh, they all tell him, you're not going to make any money, you know, as a journalist, you need to go into computer science, you get your degree in that, and so that, and that was what was being pounded into your head even then. Uh, in the late 1960s, it was all about the money. Yeah. And so, uh, unfortunately, uh, Sonny changes his mind and changes his career and goes into the computer field and worked in it for uh, five or six years and was very unhappy in it until eventually uh, he goes in another direction. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Um, so the other characters in the story... Um, are they based on real people as well, or is that just totally... Yes. They are. Uh, Everybody is based on real people. And so have you taken them, uh, just the framework of them, um, or do you change them somewhat, I guess? I would say I didn't change them at all. I left them as I knew them. Um, the, the main book is the... The, the book itself, the story is not so much about Sonny and his relationships. Uh, I mean, that plays a big part, but uh, it is one of a relationship he has with a, a straight woman, a heterosexual woman, and they were very good friends. And this woman uh, in the book, her name is Jacqueline, and she changes his life uh, because she's a... Um, uh, Sonny goes to school uh, to be a hairstylist in Chicago, and suddenly one day she shows up 
this woman, uh, and she, she didn't fit in with the group there at the hairstyling school, and she was older than him. She's 16 years older, and this really happened to me in my life, and um, and she was a, um, a socialite that came from New York, so she taught Sonny many things that he's never even imagined, you know, or maybe he did, maybe he thought about it, but you can't imagine it unless you experience it. As far as the nightlife, which was big, discotheques, getting in Studio 54, things like that, flying around the country, you know, something that a kid or a guy that's still in, their, in his 20s, Sonny's 26 when they meet, um, it's just um, almost unheard of, unthinkable that, that you can go from this guy that's being a waiter in a restaurant and and going to school and hair, and then suddenly your life has uh, changed so much. No. And, uh, but it proves out to be um, pretty disastrous because uh, she is... Um, she falls in love with him probably the first day they meet. You know, she has she has a motive uh, about it, a terrible motive, but uh, which he only had the idea. Of, oh, we're going to be friends. This is great. You know, because Sonny likes to be around women, not sexually or nothing, but you know, it's part of his life. It it, it wasn't you know all a, a gay ghetto scene. It was he, he liked to to intermix. Uh, and unfortunately, um, this was uh, a, a big trial uh, because uh, she was um, relentless. Hmm. So now you you have a, um, a homicide in this. You, you so you, are you classifying it a crime fiction? Is that what you're doing? Yes. And and the homicide. Yeah. So when you when you have a murder, what what made you bring in um, the murder into this? Like, you know, to the story. Like how it, or was it based on the murder and everything revolved around it? Okay, so the murder part of the story is true fiction. Um, it obviously it was uh, not in, in real life. It didn't happen, but the things that led up to it. Um, in real life, that led up to that point that I took it to the a murder. Um, the scene, uh, a, a scene similar, really did happen, although it didn't involve murder. But it was still a very bad scene in an airport, and um, and it dealt with her husband because she was married and he was very jealous. Oh. So it's quite the story. How do you, how do you put something like that together? Like, where does that come from from you? Because it, it it never really happened to you. Like, you didn't have this actually happen with uh, the the murder and all this sort of thing. So, how do you get that into the story, and how do you research for that? Well, it did take some research, um, but uh, things led up to this. Um, let's put it this way. Um, it could have easily, it could have happened, you know, as uh, uh, there was two times in an airport um, in real life, I hate to keep going back and forth to compare, but in real life where her husband met us at the airport once when we were going on a trip to 
to um, that she flew me to Boston to visit her daughter, which was only five years younger than me. Uh, her daughter was going to Harvard, and um, and her husband was there waiting for us when we arrived at the airport that morning, um, and that was a big scene. And then another time, um, it happened at an airport again in Miami, and um, her husband was to come and pick her up and escort her to back to um, uh, where they lived in Chicago. Um, really, it was supposed to be her daughter to meet her there at the airport uh, because she was an alcoholic and she um, needed treatment. And so she was in very fragile shape at the, and so I had to call her daughter and get her daughter in Boston was supposed to fly to Miami to help escort her mother back and go to a treatment center. And um, instead, her husband showed up. So, um, and that's, so it was pretty easy to write a murder scene from that, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, but this okay. So this whole thing sounds really personal uh, for you, and very, very important. Um, so, on in writing the book, and when you got finished, um, how do you think it changed you? It made me realize. Well, I I, I realized a long time ago, many years ago, when all this happened. Um, I was so naive, and I write that in the book a lot, that this character, Sonny, the, the protagonist, he's a very naive character, like me, and about so many things. Uh, I allow people to take advantage of me constantly, and I was one that didn't always learn my lesson the first time around. You know, uh, I trusted people too much, and so... Probably writing the book, it made me see this more than I even realized back then. Then I didn't realize or I wouldn't have made those mistakes over and over again uh, as my life went on. Mm. Um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And the same thing in the book, um, uh, you know, Sonny, uh, in, in, in his life, his... Uh, this next big love of his life after the high school thing, and he figured that his little his boyfriend in high school. I named him Jimmy. I called him, and he was an Irish uh, immigrant, not a Cuban. So uh, when they parted ways, they just chalked it off as uh, you know, growing growing up and, and moving on with life. And then he gets another. Um, uh, lover uh, or boyfriend that he they lived together for a couple of years and this guy was um a top male model and in, in um you know in chicago and eventually got on and went to new york too and so sunny again was very naive uh, this guy is uh, not coming home very often and when he does he takes him to these big parties that they were having in chicago different movie stars that he knew and things and um but he was also having an affair and you know unfortunately that is discovered because Sonny was thinking oh if uh, a monogamous relationship you know that's 
doesn't happen a lot, especially in the in the gay world. And um, but he was naive and thinking, if if my parents could do it or other people, you know, why can't we? And so uh, he learned. It's a it's a learning process with him. This the whole period. Even he meets all these people, and it's funny because the character in in um, in the book this the the guy his name is Tab and I named him after Tab Hunter because uh, the truth is I met Tab Hunter and he asked me out uh, he used to come into the restaurant all the time where I, I work I work in restaurants a lot after I uh, I always work two jobs so I worked in restaurants a lot uh, even if I had another thing working in computers or was doing hair or whatever I I like restaurant work and I liked the, the, I could do it in the evenings. I made a lot of money. It was good money. The restaurants I worked in because they were they were upper class. And so uh, how I how I ended up meeting Tab Hunter, there was a, a dinner theater right right next to it, or across from the parking lot. It was called Beef and Boards in Indianapolis, and um, he was there performing for a couple weeks, and. So they would come into our restaurant and eat. It was, you know, it was convenient. It was open lunch, dinner. And he always came in late. Uh, I was the head waiter, so I always worked late and let everybody else off. You know, I'm the one that stayed around after everyone got off the show. And he would come in at 2 o'clock every day. Um, so he, you know, the first time he came in, I probably didn't recognize him at first. And if anybody out there is listening that, doesn't know who he is. He was a teenage heartthrob in the 1950s. It was um, when I was a baby, you know. But he was still good-looking. By the time I met him, he was, um, I believe he was 47 or 48, and I was, I think I was 24, 25, and um, I might have been a little bit older. But I was, there's no way I was interested in someone that much older than me, you know, at the time. I, I it was, he was, the age of my father, but as then after the first day that he came in to eat, uh, and I stood around and talked to him because there weren't any other tables in the in the restaurant, so I just stood there and talked. And he was telling me what he did at the dinner theater, you know, what he was performing and things, and <clears throat> and then I understood. I knew who he was, of course. And then he said, "How would you like to go out? You know, to um, I can." It would be before his show, and he had one day off a week, too. And I said no. And then every day he came in for five days, asked me every day he would ask me to come out and go out with him. I kept saying no. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is that then I started getting to know him, because by then I was pulling up a chair to his table and sitting down with him while he was eating lunch. And, um, and then one day he came in, it was the sixth day, and he came in and he said, you know what? He goes, I just got a call from John Waters, and um, he asked me to be um, in this film, Polyester with Divine. And he said, um, you know, I'm going to take it. He goes, and I have to leave. And he said, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but he said that he told me he wants me there real soon. Well, after that day, and then I had already, by then I had decided uh, I might accept a date with him. But he never came back. He left. <laughs> and went to film the movie, you know. Anyway, that was that experience with that, and that's how I got my character Tab in the book. Wow, you should have so, you should have went out with him. Should have. Well, you know, one of those things. 
Um, but anyway, he gave me a, a character name. Yeah. And uh, and then from the another experience I had that's in the book. That these are all important things. Is that I eventually met Ann Miller, um, and it's funny because I didn't know much about her. You know, she was uh, I think at the time when I met her, she was around 58 or 59 years old. Um, but one night I went out with this uh, my Jacqueline character. We'd gone to a restaurant named Houlihan's in Indianapolis, and uh, we went to dinner, and a couple minutes later, in walks Ann Miller with this younger guy, you know, a nice-looking guy. Ann Miller looked beautiful, um, sat down next to us. She acknowledged us, uh, even though she didn't know us, but, of course, Jacqueline was very much a socialite and dressed to the, you know, to the T's, so um, they kind of... They eyed each other and knew, oh, hi, you know, we must be in the same group. And um, and the strange thing is, the next day I get a call from um, another friend of mine, a woman that I had met that was the head buyer for a wig department at, the, at a large department store in Indianapolis, the best one there. And uh, she said, I gave your name to Ann Miller. And she said... Uh, she, and I, then I laughed. I said, I just met her last, or saw her last night. I didn't meet her. I said, I saw her last night at the restaurant. And uh, she goes, well, I gave her your name because she called me today. She fired the guy that uh, that was doing her hair, and that was the guy that was at the restaurant. And she said, uh, uh, she's going to give you a call because I recommended her to you because she wore wigs. And I already had, by then I had finished school, and I had built a name for myself in hairstyling. So... Anyway, sure enough, Ann Miller called me that day and uh, wanted me to come, and uh, and she was performing at that same dinner theater, the Beef and Boards by the restaurant where I worked. And anyway, I never got to go do her hair because a blizzard came, snowstorm, and she. So everyone was stranded. The town was closed down for a couple of days. Next thing I know, um, uh, I heard on TV on the news that her. She had anyway. She had been hired to uh, star on Broadway with Mickey Rooney and Sugar Babies, and so the producer of the show flew a helicopter, landed it, and got her out of there so she could get out to New York. The snow had stopped. It's just that the roads weren't all clear yet, and they got her to the airport. Well, anyway, she called me from New York, and she ended up uh, eventually about a. A few days later, a week later, I think it was, she flew me there, um, did the trial round with the hair. She hired me, and um, but I, that didn't last because uh, I stayed. I took a, a short leave. I told the restaurant I was taking a vacation for a couple of weeks, and I I liked her a lot. She was a very sweet woman. She offered me a lot of money, you know, um, but. Money wasn't everything, and she was very hard to get along as far as you had to be her companion. Uh, you know, it wasn't a sexual thing, but she wanted you there all the time. You know, you went to lunch, you went to dinner, sometimes you had to go to breakfast with her. She did a lot of uh, radio, TV shows. You had to be there with her because she had to look good. Uh, so after uh, about a week, uh, I just I went back to Indianapolis and... Um, kept my job but I used her in the book <laughs> so and I used that because it's a good story and 
her name in the book or the character is Angela Darling. Mm. And and so, so you could have been Warren Beatty in shampoo. Yes, I could have. <laughs> but you know, um I figured out why the other guy uh quit and everything, because it was too demanding. You know, yes. she was very demanding. Yeah, it was twenty four seven. You have to be on call yeah, all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. that's hard after a while, especially if you're on young and you want to go out and have some fun too, right? So, yeah, you know. but all these things made for an interesting write for me to write about, um, and uh, and put them in the book and move them along and make them all part of the story, yeah. um, and and that's those are all they all take place in the book and and it's all in sequenced. Um, do, would, uh, you know, when you wrote the book, um, so this is this is kind of something I ask a lot of writers. Did you have something that you wanted people to walk away with other than the story? Was there an underlying um, theme or, or something you want people to take away from the book? Yes, there is. There's a couple things that, um, although the story is about... Uh, my life and, and and how Sonny took off with it and um, everything. In my writing, there's several things that always are going to be in my books, and it's I always want to make sure that it's um, protecting gay people. I am very much against discrimination. I'm very much for gay rights, and I hope that my writing will educate people. Maybe they'll study it a little bit and say, oh, you know, they're not so bad. Um, it's not about anger as much as, uh, I mean, I try not to write it as an anger thing, although I had anger because growing up Catholic, a, a little Catholic boy that went, you know, they forced me to go to church at that time in the 1960s. You had to go every morning before class. You had to go to church. You know, they made you do all these things that, I was a person that fought against those things. Um, I had great discussions with my father about it, uh, saying, why do you have to do this? I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. So I started recognizing those when I was pretty young. And then to uh, the gay rights movement, uh, things that were happening, it was, there's messages that I try to get out. And like a lot of other gay people, my parents disowned me when 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 they asked me. I didn't come out and tell them. They And I always said to myself, if they ask, I'll tell them. If not, I'll just leave it alone. Um, and they ask, and, and it was, um, it, that, that kind of thing is, um, it's something that can stunt your mental growth, I believe. I, I mean, um, probably a lot of people think they're strong, you can handle it. I thought I was. But it really took me a long time to get over that and, and for my family to even heal afterwards. And I don't even know if families, uh, today it's probably different, but I don't know how a mother or father really feel. But, you know, it changes that relationship with uh, uh, your daughter or son uh, when you find out that they're gay or lesbian. And... So your lives are forever changed. Uh, maybe there's always a little bit of a guard, that's, uh, a little wall that's put up there. And 
So those things really uh, are are very much detected in my writing. Um, I write about a lot of walls, and um, I uh, I feel I, I did I do great. You know, I was uh, uh, as far as it, but I want other people to understand that you can move on with your life. Um, and other other things happened to me in that period in the 1970s because you asked me, is it happy things I wrote about? Yeah, it is mostly happy things because of the bad things that happened because I was beaten two times severely and left for dead in the uh, 1970s just because I was gay. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, those kind of things... Uh, um, are really important to write about in, in my new book, which I'll talk a little bit about later. But I, I really delve into that, um, into that it, these kind of things still go on in our lives, in in, in LGBTQ lives. That it hasn't stopped. You know, it's still going on after all these years. Another thing is, I got fired from a job, a good job, um, because I was gay in the 1970s, because. People could do that, and they're, they didn't have to, uh, you could try to sue them, but it was almost impossible because the law um, was in their favor. Um, so these were all things that made you uh, cautious. So when I write my book, uh, The Last Goodbye, I, I really wanted to write it to show that, um, yeah, all these bad things happened, but our lives are, are pretty normal. Uh, Normal. I hate to even use that word, but <laughs> our lives are just like everybody else's. Okay, I'm not any different than I. I don't like to be classified as uh, uh, not normal. Uh, so, our lives, my life, is the same as anyone's life. Uh, it's worth just as much as the next person's, and that that's something that my generation, and probably the generation after me, we really had to fight for that. And today, it's uh, I see it's much more accepted. Um, but as I said, there's still oh, a yeah. lot of hate. Oh yeah, there, hate. There, there still is. You can change a law, but you can't change a person's uh, no, you feeling can't. overnight. It's 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 the whole thing. And and it was just 2020 here that um, actually made it illegal to be fired from a job for being gay in the U.S., which is. <laughs> really really behind the rest of the world which is kind of embarrassing but um, yes. you know but the thing is it's true um, you know in America right now uh, you know there's there's Donald Trump and and his his Looney Tune followers and and that's a third of the country so you can vote him out he can be gone tomorrow but those people are still there so they, they might lose a voice in the presidency, but they're still there, and they're still voting locally, and they're still protesting, and they still don't want gay people. They still don't want black people or Mexicans. They still have a big problem with minorities. It takes a long time to develop change over generations. It's going to take – it's it's not over yet. So, And another thing I write about a lot, and I don't want to turn anyone off in, in uh, that's listening, but the, I blame a lot of it. I blame most of it on the church or churches and the politicians, the ones that are the uh, that are so deep in it with in in, in their beliefs. 
Um, and I know that people need to. That's what I have to say. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I know that people need to believe in something. You know, a lot of people do. A lot of people, you know, they they just need that in their life. But I don't need someone to tell me how to live, you know. And the reason I fight against it is because I see what, what it caused. It caused a lot of harm to me. As I said, I was beat twice, left for dead. I mean, I ended up in the hospital. I ended up in intensive care. Uh, two broken jaws, uh, uh, you know, a swelling of the brain, everything. It was a horrible experience. And why? Because while I was being beat, they were calling out, like, this is against our church or this is against that. What am I supposed to believe? You know, I know what I, I know. I heard it too, you know, growing up as a kid going to church. We were preached against. And today it's still being preached against in, in many of the churches and the politicians are still trying to fight to help protect the, the Christian right or whatever. Fine. Let the people believe, but they, I, that's where, I want to be a teacher. I, my hope is that in my books, and, and maybe there'll be more after this next one I'm writing, but I hope that one thing, that the day I die, that people can read my books and hopefully say, wow, I learned something from him, and um, we were wrong. That's my, that's my hope one day. It may never happen, but that's what I write about. And I make it important. I try to show how that violence has affected a lot of people's lives. And it's been very unfair, you know, um, how we're targeted. Um, so I just try to, I hope to use my books as a vehicle to teach society um, that of our struggles, that we have hopes and we have the same dreams. Um, and I know uh, it's all over the world. I've traveled a lot and... Um, and I, I have friends everywhere in, in many countries in Europe, and I hear their stories, and they're all the same. So it's not, it's not just the United States. It's everywhere. And in some countries, it's even that we all know. It's, it's a death sentence. So these are our hopes, and, and that's the only way we can make progress as um, gay people or the LGBT. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you yeah. know, the ch the church has to become honest uh, with themselves. Uh, if if it's something they don't like, then they need to become honest and just say it. You have to know what you're dealing with in order to, you know, uh, overcome or learn to live with the differences. Uh -huh. uh, they're not. Quite often, they're. Oh yes, we we say it's okay, but yet behind closed doors, they they hate gay people or something, they say bad things. So, yeah, there has to be a little bit more um, transparency. They have to be honest or until people really have a, a, an honest conversation with each other in groups like that, um, they're never going to learn to live with each other. So that, that you know, it take and that's religion is all over the, the world. You're right. There's no, there's not yes. a, all we can do is sort of, you, you know, you have to be, um, you know, the books are great. You have to move forward and just tell the story and keep on going. There's not much else we can do. You know, we have just have to keep focused no. on, on getting getting through it. Um, so your next book, you call it what? The Night of the Great the Grapevines Whispered. Is that it? The Night the Grapevines Whispered. And, and it is going to be a murder mystery. Okay. So it's, it's sort of, uh, but you're continuing with the... Um, 
uh, undercurrent or the theme below it as being um, uh, gay and about rights of people. This book is even more about gay rights and the church, and it's current. It takes place currently, or just a few years ago. It takes place in, uh, starting in 2014. It takes place in France, and uh, in France there was a uh, they passed the um, Marriage Equality Act or whatever. You know, they allowed same-sex marriage before United States, I believe, in 2013. So. Again, it was uh, the Catholic Church organized. There was, well, they don't like to have their name tagged to it, but the group is is like um, a frat house or something of the of the Catholic Church, uh, you know, like a club. And thousands and thousands of people in France, and you might remember seeing it on TV. They protested against this, and it was horrible. Um, and there was a lot of violence against gays, and it still still is today. Um, Anyway, so uh, this story really um, delves into um, more of the hatred, the uh, violence against against us, the uh, everything, uh, even how families turn on each other over it. That's all going to be in this story. Wow! So, so it's uh, well-rounded. <laughs> Wait, so yeah. when, when are you going to put this out? Like when, when, when is kind of your idea for this coming out, roughly? I hope to have it finished at the end. Of, by the end, of, it's, I, I'm three fourths done. It's completely outlined the ending. I'm still uh, just finishing up a, a, a little bit of work on um, the um, court thing. Uh, there was one of your authors that you interviewed a couple weeks ago, and I really want to call him out as and thank him uh, because I bought his book immediately after listening to him on your show. I'm looking for his name here. Um, he was the guy that, let's see, uh, he was the one that writes about uh, crime scenes. Oh, uh, Jeff Simon? Uh, yeah, him. And and his book is to help writers like me or you to help um, figure out what the uh, uh, how the analysis and how the crime scene is set and the taping and everything done the right way, you know, so that it's not uh, messed with. And that was a very big help when I um, when I listened to that. And so I used his book, although his book takes place, you know, it's for United States, uh, and mine takes place in France, and I needed their, to know their system, but it sure has helped ease the pain of, of uh, looking at this information up. And I do have a couple uh, acquaintances that live in Paris, and they are attorneys, and so uh, they're helping me a little bit with this. So, yeah. Fantastic. Now, you have a website, right, people can come find you at? Yes, yes. It's uh, very simple, dcchambers.com. Uh, Fantastic. Now, we're going to have that on our website, as well as your books, and uh, through Amazon, and so people can do one click if they're listening. And uh, it's been quite the story. Everything going okay for you with the COVID and everything? How's it, how's it work for you? Are you? You're doing fine, and... Does it interfere with your writing? 
the COVID hasn't interfered with my writing. As a matter of fact, I've uh, written a lot through it because I'm paranoid, like you wouldn't believe, uh, to, I'm careful. And so I stay in a lot. And by doing that, it's, uh, and I'm not unhappy staying in. I'm very happy. I'm happy to be writing. Um, it's, I've been um, uh, very productive through this period. Uh, I figured I, I can use it to my advantage uh, because otherwise I could easily um, close the computer and stop writing for the day and go do other things. And uh, this, this keeps me going. I do a lot of reading. And so, you know, I've had to do a lot, and uh, plus I had to do a lot of research and probably a year's worth of research for this next book. So that's helped me <clears throat> with this to take a lot of time to read and search things on the computer. Yeah, so, no, it's working out okay. I'm just very cautious. Oh, yeah, well, we all have to be, right? It's just sort of, um, yeah. you know, what it is, so... Well, fantastic. This has been a great interview, and uh, you, you've told us a lot. So um, our guest has been D.C. Chambers, and we've been talking about The Last Goodbye, Sonny Noir's story, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you very much, and I hope to talk to you real soon. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.